Bem-vindo, gente. Welcome back to another episode of Si Se Puede, our conversation series about Latine and Hispanic representation here on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. Today's episode is with the lovely Mariel Molino. Uh, Mariel Molino is a Mexican-American actress originally from San Diego who landed her breakthrough role on American television for 2022's Promised Land, which aired on ABC and on Hulu. She played Carmen Sandoval, a determined young bisexual Latina ready to prove herself in the business and corporate world after learning from her father. Since Promised Land, Mariel has worked on a couple of projects, including The Watchful Eye, which will air on January 30th on Freeform and Hulu in uh, 2023. On a personal level, Mariel was the first actor I ever got to work with in a professional capacity on a film or television set. She was always incredibly warm to me, and her charm is magnetic both on and off screen. I'm super excited to share with you all my conversation with the lovely Mariel Molino. All right, everyone. Today I am joined by with Mariel Molino. Uh, Mariel, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners both in terms of your heritage and your background with the film and tv industry of course hello si se puede i am mariel molino i am an actor i was born and raised in san diego california but um my parents are both from mexico city i have you know been trying to be an actress for a very long time. I stepped out on stage when I was five years old. And I think that after that, I knew that this was my calling. But um, now I've made it to Hollywood, which is exciting and, and nerve wracking. And and I'm, I'm really proud of, of where I've come from and I was actually working in Mexico City prior to starting to work here. So I, I kind of love doing both a little bit of stuff in the English speaking world and then in my native tongue in Spanish. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, no, and we met on Promised Land. Uh, and the first day I worked there, I was uh, working with your box. Um, and you were the first person on that. And I remember you were very friendly. You were like, what's your name? And like, I was super nervous. I was like, don't get in the actor's ways. And uh, you were very Aww. friendly and calmed like my nerves immediately. But uh, it's so cool to see like you have a freeform show, you have a movie, like look at you in the like last year where you've gone. Already. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for for your kindness and for your professionalism and for everything that you did in that show. And you always brought a smile to my face and you always had this energy about you that I'm very thankful for. And I do think that like, it's such a collaborative art that I couldn't do what I was doing if you guys weren't keeping us safe. And if everyone behind the camera was doing what they're doing, I can't do what I do. Yeah. And so that's something that I look for on the sets that I work with that like, it's a place that everyone wants to come to work, you know? Yeah. And that, that was something that I appreciated that um, at on promised land, at least like I felt like everyone was putting their best work forward. And uh, it was a very, especially like, I mean, we can talk about it, but it was a very Latino set, which I appreciated. Yeah um coming from a couple other sets that were not as diverse and that was I, something behind the scenes like you hear about like how you want to see diversity in front and behind the camera and um matt lopez and the whole creative team like really emphasized that in terms of what yeah. they were doing the whole time that the show was in production and it really did change the way 
that you felt when you were on set because you felt like there was this familia, you know? Yeah. You felt like there, because there was push for uh, diversity and inclusion that like, it wasn't, it wasn't just in front of the camera for like a performative thing. It really was like intentional. And that mm -hmm. was what made that project specifically so special, I think. Yeah. Um, in terms of like when you were younger, was there a first moment where you recognized the lack of diversity on screen? And were you able, was there, were there like, was there a moment that you were like, oh, I can't connect completely with these stories or the inverse? Was there like a story that you're like, yes, I relate to this story that represents me on TV. Like, do you have a core memory of one of those examples from when you were younger? Yes. I think it's funny because I never really noticed when I was younger that there was a lack of, because I just thought that that was the status quo, you know, growing up with two parents who spoke Spanish at home and our culture was very much um, Latino and, and, and having that, I always felt like if I went to if I wanted to be in Hollywood, like that's what that looked like, which was very much American and and white because that's just all that I saw. And I remember growing up wanting to be like Hannah Montana, you know, <laughs> and that just wasn't me, you know, but I wanted my dad to be Billy Ray Cyrus and I yeah. wanted to be like this girl from, you know, the South who had boots and, you know, and I think that I was not that I was ashamed of my culture, but I feel like I wanted so desperately to, to, to just be that, you know, that I didn't think there was a place for stories that weren't just white. Yeah. I really did it. Like I didn't, I feel like I didn't have that imagination. And so even when I was um, deciding whether or not to go to Mexico and, and, and act over there, it felt to me in a way that I was like giving up on my dream to be in Hollywood because I thought like, okay, well, there's no place for me here, you know? And, and, and I had a judgment about Latin America. Like I felt like, oh, it must not be as good as X when that's not true. I found that when I was working there, we are telling stories that were true to, to Latin American experience. And there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in Latin America as well. But like, I found that at the end of the day, if you want to act and if that's what your passion is and that's what your calling is, you can do that anywhere, whether it's in a tiny theater in Milwaukee or in Colombia or in Spain. Like if that's what you want to do, you can find other, um, places to do that you know mm -hmm. yeah can you and talk so, a little no, I oh. yeah. no sorry I, I would just to answer your question because I did like a whole loop but like no I didn't see myself and so I didn't think that necessarily I was going to you know fit in or if I did it would be you know as a as an American white world as I am you know white yeah I just thought like there wouldn't be a space where I would have a role as a Mexican or a Latina because the view of what Mexican was, was very different mm -hmm. and it was very stereotyped, you know, and it's starting to change a little bit more. Was there like an example of like the first time you resonated with a Latina character on TV or movie or on stage or yeah. was it like Dora, Dora the Explorer? <laughs> I, mean, I was I, like, there, look, she's bilingual. <laughs> so I am I. Diego, yeah, no, same thing. Um, you know? Can you talk about some of the differences that you noticed in terms of like the Mexican uh, industry versus the American industry in terms of like the storytelling and like your experiences since you've worked in both? Yeah. Um, well... I think uh, when I first moved to Mexico City, I was really hesitant and scared about uh, taking a job in a telenovela. 
I thought that that would be the end of my career, that no one would take me seriously and that I would just be doing something that necessarily wouldn't really be filling my um, inspirational bucket, so to speak. And I had a judgment about it and I thought that they were just not meant to, I don't know, I just didn't want to do them. And then I got the opportunity to be casted in a telenovela where I did get to film, you know, over a hundred episodes and we shot in six months. And that actually became one of the biggest lessons in acting for me, in responsibility and technical acting, in the hard work that is put on both sides of the camera into projects like that. And it ended up being something that, oh, did we go away? There we are. Yeah. And it ended up being something that, that taught me so much about learning my lines, about where to stand, like all these technical things and showing up and being truthful, even if maybe it's not exactly the character or the work that you want to be doing, that that actually ends up being some of the hardest work as an actor. If you're doing maybe a text that you don't resonate with, you're still trying to bring truth to that like that is a lot of work and I respect the actors that do it and I ended up like learning so much from that and taking a lot of those those lessons uh here to Los Angeles you know um I think the work ethic down there is incredible and and, and that really inspired me and motivated me to to keep my hustle on. And I also think that there is a lot of untapped talent and potential that is starting to now be seen because of the amount of streamers that are now yeah. everywhere, you know? So that's really exciting. Um, I personally want to see more women uh, in, in, in directorial positions and producers. I still think it's a highly male dominated uh, industry down there as well as society. And so those are some of the changes that I hope to see because I think that we still need the female perspective on a lot of the storytelling in Latin America mm -hmm. to deal with a lot of like the machismo that we, yeah. you know, suffer from as you might know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think like if we start telling stories from a female perspective, um, I think that has the power to like really change things, you know? I love how you talked about the technical aspect because um, something that I've always admired about you and like a lot of the Promised Land cast, but specifically you was how dedicated to the craft of acting you were. You, I remember one, there was a night that we were on the back patio set and you were talking with Augusto and Cecilia about like character work and scene work. And like, you were really like thinking critically about your scenes. And that was something that was like, that was really cool to see you in your element, not at that moment acting, but always like thinking about what would Carmen be doing at this? Like, and how like uh, Carmen and uh, Mateo would be interacting in this scene and like what Augusto was going through. And that was something really cool. So to hear you talk about like, always learning um and always like Aww. working towards being a better actor that was like really powerful and inspiring because that was something that I noticed on set you were always determined to like elevate your performance as best as you could oh I think Felipe I don't even remember <laughs> like I don't even remember <laughs> but no I think it's it's really important to just try it's I love what you said about learning because yeah. I think that's what I feel in terms of my own career. It's like, it's not necessarily about being the best or the getting the most accolades or even, you know, I think it's like about learning. It really is like, I love to learn. I'm such a nerd and I love <laughs> um, learning from my peers. I mean, in Promising, I was so thankful to have had such amazing actors to learn and grow from, including Cecilia Suarez, but even my peers that were my age, like I will still, yeah. you know, I mean, to this day, I'll still help them with auditions. And 
see the way that he auditions and the space he gives himself. And, and, and I told him just the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, you know, um, he put so much work and dedication into an audition that he probably won't end up getting, you know, because that's just the numbers of it all. Mm-hmm. And that me is inspired, you know? Um, and I, I'm inspired by a lot of my peers and, and, and I think, um, yeah, it's about learning and growing and, and, and also learning about yourself and looking inward, which is the scariest part of an actor, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's really reflective of who you are and how, how, how you are willing to kind of like look in the mirror and like, this is just an example, but I just did a movie, um, back East and it's a, it's a horror film and, you know, my character had to cry and I personally, I always get nervous when I see that I have to cry in a script because I'm not good at it. I'm just not. And it's usually, Andres Velez told me this, usually the things that you struggle with in real life are the things that an actor struggles with on camera. So if you're a person that rarely gets upset or mad it's going to be hard for you to get upset in a scene as well. And for me, it's crying. Like, I'm not really a crier. And that's something that I have to work on. Like, what am I blocking? What? Why am I not crying? Mariel, what's going on? Like, let's look at that, you know? So I think, like, learning and growing as an actor is also learning and growing from within. Yeah. I think. And I don't blame you for forgetting that moment uh, that I was talking about because immediately Miguel brought in his speaker and started playing music. So <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic promise thing where it would be a dance party. In classic music. or like a rap battle. We would always yeah. do rap battles, remember? Oh, yeah, yes. no, I remember those. Uh, I loved when like John would get into it too. Um, but I want to ask you about like, you talked about the machismo earlier, but like in terms of both the American industry and the Latin American industry as well, what are some of the most harmful stereotypes of Latina people, Latinas, um, that continue to frustrate you when you see them done in the media? Um, I hate the victim. You know, I am tired of seeing that stereotype of like the undocumented uh, victim who needs help from other people and yeah. can't seem to, you know, uh, be the, be the hero of their own story. You know, um, that's something that I think is a little tired and, and, and maybe underdeveloped, you know, if it were a character that was more developed and had a, you know, more of a, an arc, I think that that's more interesting. Obviously our stories are still a lot about, uh, being undocumented and 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 that's fine and I think those stories need to be done but in a way that it's not just a victim mm-hmm. I also think that um the hypersexualized Latina you know I think we've seen her we know her we are thankful for her service but yeah. like you know like and, and and I also mentioned that one because I feel like when I was starting off auditioning in LA, that's that's the that's the mold that I tried to fit. You know, yeah. that's what I thought that my place was. And so every audition, I was like, how can I give you a hypersexual Latina? You know, yeah. and I don't, I don't, I guess I, I I wanted to fit in so badly in Hollywood, and I wanted there to be a place for me that I thought that that was the place. And so I tried so hard to be always that Latina. And yeah. so I would shut off other parts of myself, like the quirky Mariel, like the weird Mariel, like the <laughs> awkward one, the one that's also eloquent and well-spoken. I would shut those things off in order to let like this sexual Latina come out because that's, I thought that um, was like the only um, version, you know? Yeah. And I think that we're starting to really see uh, really interesting characters uh, from the Latine community come up. 
And you mentioned uh, like that you can still tell undocumented stories, but like give them a little more agency and um, yeah. have better stories. And I mean, Promised Land did that as well. That was something that I really loved. Like the first scene we see is Katya climbing over the wall. Uh, but like it never felt like, yeah, there were times of peril and struggle throughout mm -hmm. the show, but it was never like, someone asking for help the whole time and like someone being powerless no. like they all three yeah. of the like young Letty Joe um and Billy scenes like they all like had power and agency in what they were doing and like they weren't yeah. fearless all the time either yeah because that's usually if you talk to any person that has come here and is undocumented and you've talked about their struggles like I'm sorry, rarely were they asking for handouts, you know, like they yeah. were, they had and have their own agency and they have not only come out the other side and, and built a life for themselves, they've also supported their family and their family's family. And so I think like, yeah, I think those are the stories that, that are interesting to me the ones that are fully formed that are humans that are bad and good yeah like I, that's, that's something that's how we are that's something i'm passionate about like i think everyone's nuanced i think stories are nuanced like in terms of the stories that i gravitate towards i like the shows and movies that like blend comedy and drama because life is funny and it's sad um i so, agree completely completely um, do you have any Latino role models in the industry? Um, you can include people you've worked with or people that you aspire to work with or that uh, inspire you. Yes, I do. I, I mean, I cannot leave without saying that for me, John Ortiz and Leti Suarez. And, and Ceci Leti Suarez. <laughs> bring back uh, I know, bring back drug uh, Cecilia Suarez, I mean, even before I worked with her, I had already messaged her on Instagram and told her years prior, I love your character from Casa de las Flores. I think what you're doing is incredible and I hope to one day work with you. And she actually never responded, but then I got to work with her. <laughs> did you show her the message? I did. I was like, <laughs> you never responded to my <laughs> But um, I was such a fan. I really was. Like, to me, Cecilia, seeing her on Latin American TV as someone who was kind of morally questionable and funny and sexual and weird and was just not the classic sexualized version of a woman. She had agency. She was hilarious. That to me was so inspirational because that that's like a type of character that I aspire to have one day in a role. And so to see, to work with her was such a pinch me moment. And then John Ortiz, like just the caliber of an actor that he is, the performer he is, the amount of work he puts behind the work that he does and the fact that he's been in the industry for over 30 years and was just now given his first lead TV role to me is astounding and crazy because he's such a talented actor. Um, and then there are, you know, several different uh, creatives that I also want to work with. I was just watching uh, a movie, the most recent movie from this amazing actor. Uh, director. Her name is Alejandra Marquez Abella. And she just had a movie, Northern Skies Over Empty Space. It's incredible. She's one of these tourists that have been following her trajectory for so long. She's also Mexican. And as a female director, you know, what she's probably had to overcome to, to where she is is incredible. And I think that she has such a distinct perspective and I would love to work with her one day. Yeah. Do you have aspirations to direct one day in the future? Or? You know, Felipe. is that like, you don't know yet? <laughs> no, I do. You do. I do. I really do. But I, I say that very cautiously because 
I'm nowhere near, yeah. you know, taking that step yet, but that is something that I would love to do because I love actors. I really do. And I feel like we, I'm able to speak in the same language. And I think that that's huge when you're directing, but I want to learn all the technical aspects yeah. and I want to make sure that I'm covered on that front. Uh, but yes, that is an inspiration of mine and I hope to fulfill it. I do. Yeah. And right now you're crushing it acting wise. So you can continue to learn and learn until you feel confident to take a seat behind the camera as well. Um, but exactly. like, you seem to have a lot of like thoughts about like good directing and like, uh, like you have seem to have viewpoints on that. So that's why I asked, I was like, okay, like, I think oh, you have like a critical you. eye for directing as well, just based on this conversation. But I don't think I had ever asked you on set if that was something that you wanted to do. No, yeah, it's a great question. I think, yeah, I think it'd be very interesting. I, I, I definitely wouldn't want to like, I wouldn't want to do anything unless I'm kind of like very sure of the vision yeah. that I want to create, you know, because some of personally, and this is just a personal thing, like the that directors that I've been most inspired from and that are actually women, actually. Yeah. Um, I feel that they have such a precise and specific thing that they want to say. Mm -hmm. and a way of conveying that and when you do know exactly what you want to say and you are able to communicate that to the actor there's such a level of trust that is built and everything becomes more cohesive because you know what you want and i think that a director needs to be that leader and kind of like steady the ship in the right direction you know yeah um what in terms of like the white slash non-Latine audiences, what do you want them to understand most about our people and our culture through the American media that they currently consume and hopefully the future media that they consume? Like, what do you hope that they take away from our culture if they aren't familiar with it as much as say us? <laughs> oh gosh, I would like everybody to know that it's not so monolithic you know that it's not just about immigration and it's not so political and it's not just about cartels you know we're so much more than that and the intersectionality of our culture and how that meets that's what i'm interested in portraying you know i mean i can talk about my own experience like I'm Latina and I'm Mexican but I'm also you know physically white you know yep. and I also grew up in a Catholic and Jewish um home you know like there's such an intersectionality of cultures and traditions even in that experience and so I want people to know that it's not all the same you know there is such a uh, um a layering of different cultures because at the end of the day, like it's like the you like there's so many other cultures, religions, traditions in this one country and races. It's the same thing in Latin America. And I'm hopeful that we start to see those stories because that's also interesting and specific to me, you know, like uh there's a huge Chinese population in Mexico. There are Chinese Americans. There are German Dutch Mexicans, you know? Like I'm interested in, in, in seeing all types of stories. And I think like, that's what I would say is like, don't believe the stereotype or just the um, narrative that we are countries that only have drug wars. Yeah. Um, because there's so much more than that. And that's not the only thing that's interesting. It really isn't. So. Yeah, no, I, I'm <laughs> more interested in the human stories as well. Like, and also. Oh, like, promise that I'm repping yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, um, I, no, I love this hat. I, I low-key wish I had more swag besides the shirt and the hat, but so I could just I rep know, it everywhere. Right? 
But um, just to add to what you're saying, like my parents are both Brazilian immigrants, but my dad's family, uh, they immigrated to Brazil from Lebanon. So I'm Lebanese as well. And there's a lot of Japanese. There you go. Um, And also in terms of intersectionality, one of my favorite things about Carmen on the show was that she was a bisexual Latina. She was queer. And as a bisexual Latino, I was like, I really liked seeing that representation. And it was like a small little detail. It wasn't like actively like highlighted. It's like everywhere you walked into the room, it was like, oh yeah, Carmen is bi. But like, it was part of her storyline and it was like kind of just part of her character. And it wasn't really like explored that much. It was just like a couple lines and then like a couple relationship plot lines, but it wasn't really like every single scene Carmen walks into yeah. the room. She's like, "Hi, everyone. I'm by. This is what I'm thinking today." Ah. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because it's so true. You know, a friend of mine brought this up, and it's like, when you're heterosexual, you don't go into a room and say, "Hi, I'm Marielle, and I like men." Yeah, you don't. <laughs> so then, why, why do you have to do that if you're a queer character? You know, obviously, it's a part of your identity. And it also is a part of, you know, most likely your struggle and and things that you had to deal with growing up, right? In terms of being accepted. And that shouldn't be glazed over. But at the same time, it's so refreshing to see a character who is queer, but that's also not something that has to be like, you know, hammered in your head because it's, it's just, just like, just let them be human, you know? Yeah, um, and like it can so be I'm part glad of the. That you resonated. Well, thank you again for that representation. But um, I like it can be part of the character drive and motivation, like their backstory. But like Antonio, who like it was part of his story that uh, Joe didn't accept him uh, for being gay off the bat, and that's why like he has a lot of this resentment towards his father. But it wasn't his only story; it was like just a piece of it, and it wasn't like his whole defying characteristic it was just a piece of the puzzle for this whole fleshed out character that donatia brought to life um as well so yeah um like that's that's another reason why i love promised land it was like there was diversity in terms of a lot of the different stories um like and i'm i'm mad at hulu because i couldn't find it i was trying to show it to my friend and i couldn't No, find they it. took it off yeah i was like what i was the hell? shocked i was shocked it Philippe, it hasn't even been a year. Y'all and... got shafted, and I'll say that to like whoever, like <laughs> say y'all it. Got, like you say were it. Monday nights at 10 p.m. after the Bachelor during the Olympics. Y'all had no chance, and I was so frustrated. And then they moved you to Hulu like immediately because they were like, "Oh, the ratings are on." I was like, "I wonder why the Olympics are on." Like, so well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, to begin this is my with, opinions. I'm not putting you in the spot. No, 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 no. No, that's totally fine. We can have opinions. I also think that it could have done better maybe if we just had been on Hulu. Yeah, I think so too. You know, and if the push from the beginning would have been to Hulu, I just I think, think that it's a fantastic show. Serialized dramas. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think serialized dramas are starting to see kind of like their decline on network TV Mm -hmm. because it's just difficult to follow in the, in the structure that, that um, network TV goes because procedurals do fine, but serialized dramas, you know, I think that people want to binge them. I, I do. Think the I think only so. Only show that I know of that, like in the last few years, that has broken through like broadcast TV is Abbott Elementary, um, and that's yeah, and that's also, I think, but that's like a sitcom. Of the procedural, yeah, yeah, it's a sitcom, but it's also like it has more of that procedural formulaic, kind of, yeah, um, formulaic exactly, yeah, and it's also a sitcom, you know, exactly, yeah, but and also, also I think, like, it's also, it is on but Hulu also it's incredibly. And it's also an incredibly different show, you know? Let's not get away from the fact that that show is also genius and brilliant. And what Quinta Bronson did, which was genius, is like, she's like, I have never seen a Black mockumentary sitcom, so I'm going to make that. Yeah. And that is the key, you know? 
she saw a very specific point of view. She wanted to tell that story and that's why it's so successful. I think looking back on Promise Land, I am so thankful for the show, but, um, but yeah, I think maybe it would have benefited from, from maybe being binged in order to um, understand the plot and the characters and the story yeah. and follow through, you know, some of the things that I heard um, through people in my life were like, it was hard for me to follow or this and that. And so it's okay. Like you can learn from things and yeah. grow and move on. And I am so thankful for Promise Land because it has brought me not only so much joy, but lessons, I friendships, love and opportunity like right now i i have a, a show on freeform which is insane <laughs> to yeah. me you know no, so and i don't think that wouldn't have been possible without promise land you know yeah um no i i i just wish i could share it with my friends like that's the that's the most disappointing part about that it was well you can rent on amazon and oh, okay good to know okay good to know yeah because I was like, I was trying to put it on in the break room at work one day. I was like, let's watch the show that I worked on, especially like during oh, Latino Heritage no. And I was like, where to go? Where is it? Um, I was, and then I wait. I, I want to talk about how I want to take a tour from you. Because... Yes, absolutely. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, no, let's definitely set that up. Um, yeah, I would uh, love that. I are you a Gilmore that. girly? I... Yes. Okay. Also, you did I not come... tell you? Do you know who's on my show? Who? Kelly Bishop, the Emily Gilmore, oh is God. in my show. I love it. It was insane. Oh my God, that's exciting. But no, you should definitely come uh, starting the 22nd. They're going to like turn Stars Hollow into Stars Hollow, like the Stars Hollow backlot, <gasps> and like have fake snow and everything. Um, oh my God. But yeah, I'll send you more info like on Instagram or something like, and yeah, uh, we'll me, definitely please. connect it. But yeah, no, I I'm just so thankful that I got to work on Promise Land. I think I learned a lot about like production and also like myself and like uh, and just getting to see you all. Like my dad is a fan of the show. I got him to watch every episode, and he was like, "Is there more?" I was like, "I'm sorry, I can't say that there is." <laughs> he was like so excited for the next season, and then um he was watching something he's like oh wait that's yule like i showed him the trailer for severance and he's like wait he's billy like um because oh i love that um, oh, but crushing so, like, it. severance was amazing it was it was like i mean so many great shows this year including promised land but i just i think i want to just close out our interview portion with like just um like are there stories in the last few years that you're like okay we're making progress even if it's slow that you want to highlight you mentioned uh the movie that you just watched um but like are there any other things that you want to highlight that you think anyone not just american audiences but like latino audiences or like anyone should check out and be like this is a great example of latino culture and our people mm. Mm. oh gosh honestly i love like the the indie film scene in Mexico, I think that 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 is especially like nuanced and really great. Like that the movie that I just saw, highly recommend Northern Skies Over Empty Space, um, because it does talk about some of the cartel violence in Mexico, but in a way that isn't glorifying, you know. And it's actually taking back the agency with the people that are actually, um, you know suffering like our country is suffering because of the amount of violence um and i think that those are spookies on hbo <laughs> if you haven't seen that please check it out because it is everything i love about humor and weirdness and creepiness you know like it's, it's a kooky it's, little show i love it it's such a kooky show and i think like that to me is a beautiful example of like great writing, great acting, and not at all stereotypical characters. Starting with the lead, he's an incredibly funny gay character 
who is not just gay, you know? Yeah. Um, and then tell, like, as we wind things down, where can people keep up with you? Tell everyone about your upcoming projects. Like, I'm so excited to see this Freeform show um, that you have. It starts n next month, right? Yes. Okay, so everybody needs to go to Freeform if you have it, or Hulu. January 30th, The Watchful Eye. Okay, it's a great thriller, it's suspenseful, it's a modern take on a Hitchcockian classic. And your girl plays Elena, who is a young girl, very savvy, a little bit in over her head, who goes into work for a very affluent family in Manhattan, where everyone has dead secrets and ulterior motives. And it's spooky, and it's weird, and I love it. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's really the only place I post anything. It's at Marianne Molino. And I am on Twitter, but I'm just mostly scrolling. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I, did you film that all in Boston for The Watchful Eye or was that something else? Because I saw you in Boston on your story and I was like, I'm from Boston. So I almost messaged you, but then I- Oh, I really? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, I filmed in this little town called Devon's. Okay. Um, I, yes, I am filming a movie called The Shade, and it okay. is a horror film. It's a psychological horror. I'm really excited about that. And that probably won't come out until next year. But you still um, filming it? Yes. So are you in Boston right now? I'm not. I'm in Los okay. Angeles for the holidays, and then okay. I have to... I will send you some yeah. Boston recs as well, like in terms of please while you do. Send me but all yes, the and we'll coordinate a tour and everything. Um, okay. I'm so excited to see everything you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me. It means a lot oh. that you joined me and we had this thank beautiful you. conversation. And I'm excited for people to check it out. No, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being your gorgeous self. <laughs> and I wish you nothing but the best. Seriously. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone, wasn't that a fantastic conversation? She is so sweet. We absolutely stand. Um, let me give you all a little preview of what's to come on the Brazilian Dragon podcast coming up as we wind down 2022. So if this is just the only podcast you're listening to on the Brazilian Dragon Network, let me tell you a little bit more about us. So we do uh, recap stuff about uh, classic nostalgia-based content. So if you grew up in the 90s or 2000s, especially the latter years, the 2000s, uh, this is a good podcast, I think, for you all. We talk about shows from Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney Channel, a lot of Disney Channel original movie recaps in our backlog. Um, recently, my friend Autumn and I wrapped up first season coverage of Total Drama Island. My friends Will and Navi and I, we have a Phineas and Ferb rewatch podcast. Other things we've talked about over the years include Scooby-Doo. We do a Scooby-Doo podcast based on all the movies. Um, high School Musical, the musical series for any people from the High School Musical franchise fans like myself and my co-hosts, Caitlin and Sam. Um, so yeah, so speaking of Caitlin, we do have plans to chat at a certain point to talk about her thoughts on the ending of HSM TMTS season three. And also uh, later on, my goal is to get a Brazilian Dragon Games season six out for you all. Uh, recently, my friend Anarman and I, like I mentioned, we wrapped up Total Drama Island coverage for season one. We did a Hunger Games simulation, which we call here on the Brazilian Dragon podcast, the Brazilian Dragon Games. We did season five with characters from Total Drama Island. Um, and no spoilers, but that was a really fun podcast to record. Also, we have a Best of 2022 in Pop Culture conversation podcast being prepped for you all, as well as the Brazilian Dragon Best of 2022 clip show, including some clips from Cize Puede. Now, let's put out this manifestation. In 2023, we want to get a guest on the podcast. My bucket list Cize Puede guest is John Ortiz. And that's just going to be for me. And I'm just putting that out there because he is someone who led Promised Land with such kindness and desire and determination to showcase powerful and important Latino stories 
And that's something that I always admired. I thanked him for being an incredible number one on that set when I had the chance at the end of the last episode taping, final day of production. So I just wanted to put that out there because every year we're going to manifest. We're putting it on our vision board. We're going to hopefully get to chat with the wonderful John Ortiz in 2023 and have a conversation series about uh, Latine and Hispanic representation on Si Se Puede. Now, before I wind things down, I just want to give some shout outs to some people who pushed me to do this series, especially back during Hispanic and Latine Heritage Month. So um, my friends Nicole Horn and Will from America uh, and uh, Tyler Morton, thank you all so much for pushing me, as well as Laura Holtzwasser and Clayton Odell for pushing me as well to realize my vision and do this project um, to Will Davis and Naomi and Emma. You all pre-screened my conversation with Lyrsa to make sure the audio hiccups didn't hinder that conversation. So for specifically that episode, I wanted to thank them all. Sam Davis and Autumn, uh, they were incredible co-hosts. Uh, I mentioned them earlier. They let me push back our regular podcasting during Hispanic and Latina Heritage Month to prioritize this series. Will Davis, Navi Ball, Mark O, and Daniel Strunk, they repeated private encouragement and support throughout the release of this project as well as before and afterwards. And the most important person I have to thank, besides you all listeners and my fabulous guests, is Emma Rose. She was continuously there for me, hearing my ideas, endlessly supporting me, and pushing me before during and after Latin A and Hispanic Heritage Month and while I was doing this project. And this project isn't done, like I said earlier. It's just done for 2022, but I just wanted to give some of those people shout outs for helping me realize this vision. Now, Cisse Pade, we have some bucket list guests, as I mentioned earlier. We have lots of plans to continue doing this podcast whenever I get an interesting opportunity. I'd like to do it um, regularly. I don't want to promise every month, but maybe every other month. Let's try to get an interview here. Um, and then maybe more, obviously, during Hispanic and Latina Heritage Month. Um, and just for the real ones, I'll give you some people that uh, we had conversations with, but we weren't able to uh, book this uh, first season of Si Se Puede. So we had Josh Martinez from Big Brother Interested. We had Lulu and Lala from The Amazing Race. Um, those were just a couple of the names that I had interest in, as well as Romeo Escobar and Mike Turner from Survivor 42. They were both interested as well. We just weren't able to ever make those happen. So hopefully in 2023, any of those uh, people are welcome to come on board. Oh, also Kylan Young from Big Brother 23 as well was also interested. Um, so with that said, thank you all to my incredible guests. I'm going to name them one more time uh, for this first season of Si Se Puede. We had first episode, Abby Maria Gomez, which... Uh, what a fight she put up in Fab uh, Vote Vote Fab 40. That was an incredible campaign that she ran, and I'm just very proud of her, and uh, she was a rock queen. Uh, also, Fanny Veliz Grande, Lirsa Torres, Rolando Chuzan, Paula Irizari, Gabby Morales, Elaine Del Valle, Katia Martin, Indy Santos, and of course, Mario Molino. Now, one more time, uh, we're going to manifest John Ortiz, but also I just thought of two more people that I would love to interview. Carla Cruz, Godoy and Jesse Lopez from Survivor 43. I would love to interview them because watching them this season has been incredibly powerful as a Latino who never saw Latinos succeed on TV growing up. It was very rare for me to see that. So seeing two of them be the front runners this whole season to win Survivor 43 and kick so much ass, especially uh, this whole season, these two badass Latinos and making it to the finale, that was has been incredibly powerful to watch. So that is my pop culture plug. Also, of course, go watch Encanto. It's the time of the year where people are going to see their families and they need to cope with generational trauma. So why not break out the box of tissues and cry because Encanto will do that to you. It is 2022. It is the song of the year. I will close out with that. Again, thank you to all my incredible guests. Thank you so much for joining me on Si Se Puede. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me, you can email me, Felipe at BrazilianDragonPodcast.com or social media at With The Fleep. Until next year in 2023. Si se puede, and echa palante. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. But it was my wedding day. It was my wedding day. We were getting ready and there was 
carry me be that go wrong. Bruno says it looks like rain. Where's the heat doing so he floods my brain. I will like the umbrella. Oye, Mariano son his way. He told me that 